There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sheila Shoigan and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. This week I speak to Aoife O'Brien about life with and after an eating disorder. VD is like an abusive partner that's constantly... What did you eat today? What did you do? Look at the state. Yeah, it's literally like, yeah, if you were living with an abusive partner that was monitoring what you ate, what you said, what you thought every minute of the day, like that's what it's like living with it. And I suppose getting away from that then, it's so freeing and strange and like just yeah. lovely not to, just to become your own best friend and not to be that bully in your head monitoring everything you do 24 seven. Originally from County Clare, Aoife now lives in Mayo with her fiancé Damien and her son Liam, who's nearly two. For years, she was controlled by an eating disorder, which went unnoticed for a long time. But now, having fully recovered, she's passionate about getting the message out that life after disordered eating is very much possible. In this conversation, we discuss diet culture, the signs of eating distress and how best to address it. I learned a lot from listening to her and I think you will as well. thank you so much for joining me today to have this conversation and be so open about your experience with an eating disorder. I know you don't call it an eating disorder. You call it eating distress. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's let, we'll explain that a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But first up, can you talk to me about, you know, your childhood growing up, what your attitude and your relationship with food was like when you were a kid? I suppose as a kid, I don't remember having any issues with food or anything like that. And I suppose... It's probably important as well that I suppose you don't, 
you're not born uncomfortable in your body and it's something that you kind of learn. So it's not there naturally as a baby. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I think, yeah, I do have like free moments that I can remember where size was definitely not an issue. And it's nice to have those. Like I grew up on a farm and running around the fields with my cousins and stuff like that and brothers and sisters, because I do know a lot of people that have ED can never remember a time when they were kind of free. So, um, yeah, like I'm glad that I have those memories. But I suppose things like when you're a child, it wouldn't have been issues with my body, but it would have been maybe I would have put a lot of pressure on myself from a very young age, would have been a high achiever, very studious. Um, Do you know, it'd be the end of the world if I didn't get 10 out of 10 on a spelling test in primary school, that kind of thing. All right, Um, a perfectionist? Yeah, a lot of perfectionistic traits, if you want to call it. Mm. Um, definitely. And would have compared myself a lot from a young age. And it was only kind of on reflection, looking back, I think there was always, even from a young age, that sense of I didn't really feel like I fitted in kind of a thing. Um, and I always felt like I felt a lot of discomfort in my body. And like, Going back, this is probably the earliest memory I have feeling discomfort in my body. And it was funny, I was thinking back, I was at like a sleepover with girls in my class. And I must have been nine, I think, because I remember having a pyjamas that was size seven to eight years old. And like, it's just weird to think back, back like the child that young would be aware of that. I remember being like wanting everyone to see, look, I'm nine, but I'm wearing size seven to eight in my pyjamas. Okay, and like, when I think wow. that now I'm like, that's fucking weird. Like, um, yeah, yeah. but it just shows, I suppose, from a young age, like, and probably even younger, but that's my first memory um, of kind of feeling that sizeism, if you want to say. Um, yeah. And yeah. just kind of noticing that in my body. Um, and seeing it as something to celebrate. Yeah. From such a young age, I can, don't know where that would have came from, like at all. And as well, like I can remember, yeah, like playing camogie and at cool camps, I can remember feeling really uncomfortable in my body. And I suppose then getting older and kind of developing boobs and stuff like that, just I would have developed quite early and just really not been comfortable in my own skin. So, yeah, I don't know if that was anything early signs or anything that obviously I wouldn't have been aware at the time. I just remember feeling that discomfort and always having that sensation that like I wanted to be liked and wanted to please people and wanted to be popular. That was in me from yeah. a young age as well, that kind of people pleasing and just wanting to fit in. Um, I can remember that deeply. But as well, I think one thing to kind of look out for, maybe even in your, not even to look out for, but like most people that would experience eating distress or an eating disorder would be hypersensitive. So like something could be said and you would take it in at such a deep level and you'd remember it and replay it. Like just maybe a comment someone might have said, um, and just even like if something you did that you thought was negative that day, that would stay with you for a long time. Whereas all the praise in the world you got, it just didn't. It was like there was no filtering mechanism. Yeah. You like absorb the negativity like a sponge. Yeah. And not be able to accept the positive comments. Yeah. 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 So you've said it there yourself. And I just I think it's it would be great to explain it a bit better because we keep hearing about eating disordered or disordered eating. But I until you said it to me, I had never heard the term eating distress. Yeah. And that's what you prefer to call it. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just like it's the distress that's eating you really. And that you're not disordered because you're going through this. Yeah. Um, and I think you have such low self-esteem when you are experiencing an eating distress, like it's in the minus. So I think for some people that label might kind of maybe they're feeling quite vulnerable as it is and then being told they're disordered mightn't be very helpful. Yeah, okay. So you're experiencing a high level of distress and that distress is eating you. Just, um, just I suppose, the language, just a, a nicer term. An important language. Yeah, yeah absolutely. definitely. 
because as well, as you just said there, if if you are somebody that really will absorb any negativity, Mm -hmm. any negative words or connotations around something, it is important to observe that. So I, I have found that even leading up to this conversation today from our voice notes and from reading and listening to different people's experiences that I, I, I feel like there's a lot I didn't know and that I'm only starting to learn about this area and how actually how common it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously different levels of extreme on the scale, but I think the majority of us have probably experienced an eating distress in one way or another. It might not be as extreme that we need to go for treatment for it, but it's probably enough that it needs a little bit of attention. So, as you said, it was only when you started to think about it that perhaps there were slight signs from an early enough age that you you did have a little bit of of an issue around how you looked more so than probably how manifested eating food. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, it would have been just discomfort in my own skin, in my own body, just not feeling comfortable and very conscious um, but yeah, I don't remember, like it was never any issues with food or doing anything around that. It was just that discomfort within myself. And I'd imagine from speaking to a lot of people, that's kind of, yeah, like that's how it kind of does begin, I suppose, that discomfort in yourself and not feeling like you kind of fit in. And it wasn't until your late teens that it really starts to ramp up and become an obvious thing in your life. Yeah. So, and I think like you mentioned a good point there like that, a lot of people would experience um, distress around food or discomfort in their body or body image. I don't think anybody probably goes through life being immune to that, especially in the times we're living in now, especially like, um, you know, there's so much emphasis on eating clean, your fitness, clean eating, like there's just, it's so normal, like disordered kind of behaviours are very normalised now. And I think, that's why it can be very hard to kind of spot that you are maybe experiencing that there's something deeper going on and for parents or family members or people to even notice because it's celebrated to watch what you're eating to, oh, I'm being good this week, I'm on a diet, I'm, you know, my body's a temple. Like that's all normalised and celebrated. So like I think if you look at other kind of addictions or substance, like they might be more obvious because some more than others but I suppose yeah it's really normalised in society those behaviours and it is there's also a term I don't know if it's an official term but I see it being bandied about orthorexia Mm -hmm. which I hadn't even heard of but it's basically an obsession with clean eating Mm -hmm. exercise never eating anything you know air quotes bad and constantly just you know fueling up on good food and then you have all of these different types of food plans that I suppose it's easy then to to hide behind is a paleo, yeah. is a is a keto, yeah, yeah. is a veganism. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them and I'm not yeah. demonizing them. But if they're using the extreme, yeah. that's when it can be an issue. And I think we're not having enough conversation around this. Yeah. I could not judge anyone, even if I wanted to, because I have tried every diet, every craze, every fad under the sun and like Really? Yeah. So like like now it just seems like a different lifetime ago, to be honest. But like, yeah, I couldn't. It might seem sometimes like that. I'm very harsh and against that just because I know how destructive it is for people. But yeah, like I don't judge anyone because no one's immune to that kind of diet culture and we should fit into these boxes. Um, Absolutely. I've done it myself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was 19 when it really kind of the whole dieting kind of really kicked in for you. Yeah. And I can remember 
like obviously yeah there was those issues going on in the background like I my sleep was disturbed very studious in secondary school leaving start a lot of stress that kind of stuff but yeah the kind of the behaviours with food definitely it, I can pinpoint when it started like when um, I started Weight Watchers at the time with my older cousin mm. and I just remember like it was so easy I just started losing weight I was good at it and I was getting compliments for it so I suppose for me I didn't know myself at all. I had no sense of self whatsoever, but I, I didn't realise at the time. It's only in reflection looking back. So this kind of gave me a purpose or something to do or something to kind of to be. And I was great at it and I was getting compliments. And it just I got hooked on that kind of that feeling, I suppose, and that air quotes high and false confidence, I suppose, that that weight yeah. loss gives you is that false confidence. But I think as that progresses and coming out the other end, the goalposts always move no matter where you got or what your goal was, it's never enough and the goalposts always do move. It's, it depends on the personality type you are as well. And if you were slightly competitive or you were comparing yourself to others, you were probably in a zone where each week when you went, you wanted to be down. Was that the way it was? Oh, completely. And like competitive would have definitely been a way to describe me, definitely. Um, yeah, 100%. And like the thing is as well, like your body is smart. Like if you're depriving your body and you're restricting, which I would have been doing, been, like there's so many different behaviours and I think it's important that it doesn't all fit into one box or one label, like anorexia, bulimia, orthorexia. Like a lot of people I know, including myself, you would have ticked all boxes and dabbled in all sorts of behaviours. So I think it's important even first of all, kind of re- like I was never underweight. I was in the normal weight category, looked well, didn't look like you're stereotypical sick person that has an eating disorder like that sensationalized in the magazines or the media that kind of thing um so yeah that i suppose as well would kind of mask that you might be having an issue because you don't you're not underweight you're not sick looking um and it's normalized and that's what you do when you go to weight watchers and like i think right now it's bizarre you go in and pay somebody to be a tenner and to weigh and hop off the scale like and it's so inaccurate as well like it, it makes me laugh now coming out the other end of it but at the time it wasn't a laughing matter my god if I hadn't sure. lost like Jesus like my body was like an emotional punch bag if I didn't meet whatever targets I set out to meet like yeah. um yeah it was very yeah very um a really confusing time I suppose um and very extreme and up and down and food I suppose would have occupied my mind 24 7 it would have been thinking about food, what am I going to eat, when am I going to eat, like minute by minute throughout the day, like it does totally, yeah, become obsession. And like your mind is so busy that it's very hard to be present in the room with anyone you're with or what you're doing because this is going on all the time in your head. But no one kind of knows, well, they probably do know um, because I suppose all I did was talk about food and stuff as well. Like I'd say I was very irritating to hang out with, like um, do anything that got in the way of my routine or the day or my meals or my exercise. Like I started over-exercising a lot to compensate what I was eating, that kind of stuff. Um, And they're just things for maybe people to look out for, like calorie counting, sudden interest in good or bad foods, maybe interest in veganism if it doesn't really kind of align to the rest of your values. Things to maybe look out for like that. yeah, like taking like diet pills. Like when I think of what I used to put into my body without research and what was behind it or like I just, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre to me now, I suppose, but it is the norm for a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, you said something really interesting in one of your voice notes to me when you said you saw your body as an ornament yeah, rather than having a function and, and you know, keeping you alive and doing all these wonderful things for you on a daily basis. And again, I think the reason I'm highlighting that is 
I think a lot of people at different stages have felt that way about their bodies. Yeah. That it is something just to be viewed and yeah. look a certain way mm. rather than actually what is it doing for you every day, keeping yeah. you alive, keeping you healthy. Yeah, and it's only when I started recovering that that even that concept came to my into my head. Like I would have like my body is an instrument or it's for living. Like what? Like what are you like? That was for the hippies, like as in it was completely like what you look like, very judgmental, very self-critical. But like if you're judging, I'm not saying you as in for my own experience, sure, but I was yeah. judging myself. I was judging and creeping on others as well. Like, you know, you can't be just doing it yourself and not doing it to others. So, yeah, it was. And then a lot of shame around that as well. And just, I suppose, how you can get your identity can come wrapped up in it as well because I was good at it it just became okay that's Aoife who's good at exercising and diet and that's all I spoke about because I think behind that I didn't know what was there I didn't know who I was I, there was not much other substance going on because I, I just rejected myself and I just became this walk and weight loss advocate and I suppose the shouter the louder I shouted about it I suppose people wouldn't recognise maybe that I was a fraud behind it all kind of a thing. Um, and like I started studying, like I did a master's in nutrition, um, started working in the weight loss area for years. So yeah, like wow, looking yeah. back, like there's still, not still, but like a bit of shame as well that, like that's why I was saying I couldn't judge because it wasn't that long ago, less than 10 years ago, six, seven years ago that I was promoting diet culture and I had individual one-to-one -one clients who definitely I'd say had eating disorders at the time, but the, I suppose I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I could only, all I knew was weight loss and that kind of mindset, how to lose weight. So I was seeing clients promoting weight loss and healthy living in air quotes, but like I was very, my relationship, my body was so unbalanced and so, yeah. so um, I suppose warped. And then that's what I was promoting to other people to lose weight. So yeah, it's, it's just a funny one. And I suppose as well, like nutrition and wellness, it's not very regulated. Like I obviously was qualified, but like, do you know, was I in the right position to be doing that job? Um, yeah, so I think it's just important for people where they're getting their information from, especially now, like social media wouldn't have been as big then. Like mm. it wasn't an issue for me at all. And um, back then it just wasn't really a thing. But especially now when they're so, and not to dish influencers or people online, but like, just watch where you're getting your information from because there's a lot of wellness advocates, again, in air quotes, that they mightn't be so well behind at all. But the thing is as well, is in society, as, as you and I know, and so many people listening will know, thin is celebrated. Mm. And there's a privilege that comes with being slim. You get more notice, you get more praise. I know as somebody who's gone up and down in weight that whenever I've dropped weight, I'll get the compliments. Mm. You're looking great. What have you done? Mm. And when I've gained it, there's nothing. It's like radio silence mm. because, but behind it, what are they thinking? Mm. What is the, what is the thought process mm. going on behind it? And I know there's a whole move now towards body positivity that is wonderful and great, but there's also people that will say that that is maybe not so good for people either. But I do mm. think we have to get to a place of just acceptance yeah. that we all come in shapes and sizes mm. and, and the thin size are the bigger size one is not better than the other, yeah. but we just need to get a bit more neutral with it. Yeah. We're not neutral with it. No, As you said, you've not. mentioned judgment and shame and I've experienced it myself. And it's it's very destructive as a force, isn't it? To yeah. have that type of judgment or feel like you're shamed to look a certain way. But when you talk about when you went to get weighed or get checked and you fell within the normal parameters, mm -hmm. are you speaking about the BMI? Yes, yeah, so I 
was within the normal BMI category. And even when I first started seeking help, going through the recovery journey as well, I found it hard to accept that I even had an eating disorder because I was kind of like, what? Like, even though how destructive and how I controlled my life, the ED, it was still my norm. I didn't know really any different and I don't really remember being pulled on it but then again maybe I could have been and I just didn't want to know or didn't want to hear about it I knew deep down I had kind of issues with food and stuff like that but I don't think I knew anything other than like anorexia or bulimia that that was what an eating disorder was so I never once thought that that's what I had I knew I had a very weird relationship with food and food would dictate my mood and it was very extreme up and down good and bad um Mm on and off that kind of thing so I mean suppose for people listening BMI is body mass index and it's Mm -hmm. the it's the measure that normally you're told whether you're in the normal range or whether you're underweight or overweight or obese but obviously it doesn't take into account account the person's skeletal structure how much muscle they have versus Mm -hmm. fat and all the rest so it's quite a crude system that is still used yeah and like your weight could fluctuate in the space of an hour if you measured yourself at different stages of the day and I used to do that and used to be upset that it would change and be upset with myself rather than actually thinking okay this system is very like it's not helpful it's not right you know what I mean but I suppose the scales was what it said was right you know and yeah, everyone's yeah. question that the scales isn't right um so yeah it's just it's not a helpful measure and I think when I first started recovering my, the advice I've been given was just to throw out the weighing scale and that was five or six years ago now and I've never weighed myself since and if there's something really freeing in that as well like and at the start now it's easy for me to say that looking back but at the start that was very distressing in itself how how would you know what to do what could guide you what would keep you in shape what would keep you together like because right. I had no trust in my body that your body knows where it needs to be like that was all like I could not even comprehend that so yeah it was very um liberating after a while but very kind of strange at the beginning because when you're used to weighing and restricting and you know calculating everything is kind of adding up numbers that kind of thing yeah it's it's strange but yeah I've just got rid of the weighing scale I've never done it since like a few times I would have had to been weighed during pregnancy and stuff like that um and like I wasn't fully recovered, I wouldn't say going into pregnancy, like I'm mother nearly two years now, but I found the pregnancy really helped me to recover in one sense, because I could see what my body was doing as well. Like I did find it a bit distressing as well, but like also I could see what my body was doing. And when I did get weighed, it just didn't really bother me. It was just something that had to be done. I didn't, I probably could have refused if I wanted to, but it just, it did, the scales didn't have that power over me anymore. It was like, get weighed, told me what it was, that's grand. It didn't linger with me and that was really freeing in itself to know like it doesn't matter what the weighing scale say like I feel freer and better than I've ever did but like looking back like the ED can be very manipulative as well that I could look back in the past and look at pictures and be like geez I looked great and like that real kind of rose tinted glasses it's like the ED not wanting to let go you're looking back on geez I look great but like what was behind that picture I was misery I was obsessed like I was not happy I was not present like but I and even at the time I thought I looked awful anyway but it's just how it can get distorted looking back which you said I look right then look at where you are now um is this recovery really worth it and I suppose that's normal for anyone going through the process as well that it will it's like the ED is like an abusive partner that's constantly what did you eat today what did you do look at the state yeah it's literally like yeah if you were living with an abusive partner that was monitoring what you ate what you said what you thought every minute of the day 
Like, that's what it's like living with it. And I suppose getting away from that then, it's so freeing and strange and, like, just yeah. lovely not to... Just to become your own best friend and not to be that bully in your head monitoring everything you do 24-7. And it's important as well to highlight that recovery is, is possible because a lot of people... And and it's it's a topic that I've touched on a few times on the podcast and even just last week speaking to Holly Carpenter mm -hmm. for her and everybody has their own truth and what works for them. And for her, she feels that recovery maybe is 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 unattainable. What keeps her, I suppose, in the safe zone is an acceptance that it, she could be, you know, re-triggered mm -hmm. at any at any stage. But you're showing that that it is possible. It is absolutely possible to make a full recovery, yeah. not live with it, not live in fear of it and move away yeah. from it. Well, I suppose when I went to the clinic that I went to to get support, I saw people who were fully recovered from the first day. So that was, I never knew, like I had never gone to the public service or people been telling you, you can't access help or you're not underweight enough, you're not sick enough. So thankfully I didn't go through any of that like some people do. And if you're in a, a bigger body or you, you're you're carrying a bit extra, but you might be still experiencing an eating disorder, but because you're not in the underweight category, you're not worthy of, I suppose, the services and the help. Thankfully, I didn't go through any of that. I suppose I went privately when I realised that I had an issue, like, I'd say I was maybe 26, 27. Um, so the clinic you went to was the, the Marino Therapy Centre? Yeah. And you found it a very positive experience? Oh, amazing. Like, And I was going for counselling for a couple of years before that, maybe a year before that, because I just felt everything got on top of me and just, I suppose your stress levels are very high when you have ED, but you're so unaware. You're not aware of the story that you're telling yourself. It's just your norm. Um, it's very busy in your head and you're overanalyzing and overthinking everything. But yeah, so I think going through kind of just general kind of counselling, it kind of became very obvious, okay, like that it's food. And the lady that I was seeing at the time, that she wasn't comfortable, that wasn't her area. So she kind of gave me a few places and Marina was one that I picked and I'm just so happy that I went there because yeah from day one I could see people that had recovered and I instantly felt that connection as soon as I went in there like there's group sessions um, and there's individual one-to-one -one services but I thought like oh god I'm going to be going into this madhouse now a group session with loads of people that have eating disorders like I was like what the hell am I doing but I suppose I was kind of desperate at that stage that I knew I wanted to get help with that I just didn't want to live like that anymore um, but I remember the first day I was so amazed by how, and I suppose at the time, all I took in was appearance, how physically, like, beautiful everyone was in the room, but how every, their self-esteem was so low. Um, but mm. I also, like, felt that instant connection because the things that I would say to myself, I'd never really said out loud to anyone else. I was very ashamed and embarrassed and thought it was very weird. But, like, when I heard other people say it, I was like, oh, like, I felt like I just kind of found my tribe, tribe. I suppose, and I never really felt like I'd fitted in anywhere like that before. I had good friends and everything, don't get me wrong, and I led a normal life like it wasn't like I was depressed or anything like that like it I did leave a very normal life and career and stuff like that you wouldn't have known from the outside there was anything wrong it was all very internally um so yeah I think that was important for me from day one to see that recovery is fully possible and I never doubted it I suppose but yeah I think I kind of find it sad that people can't or they've been told maybe that recovery is impossible or like even the term like relapse and stuff that goes around like that it's not even in my vocabulary. Like once you start to recover and get, I suppose, I'm going to say proper help, like about recovery, not just gaining weight, not just eating and having a normal like uh, movement or exercise routine. It's it's so much more beyond Dealing that. With 
what is behind it all. Exactly. Like that's yeah. just the symptom. And like if you're just putting a plaster on that, you're not really dealing with what's underneath. So that's when the real kind of recovery work happens. And is there a lot of naivety around that? As in, say, if somebody is looking like they are underweight, it, do a lot of people think, oh, well, just feed them up and sure they'll be grand. Yeah. And the other way, if you're carrying extra, they'll lose it. and be fine. It's just like eat less, gain more. And like, that's just so unhelpful for someone who's experiencing such level of distress, like as in just to eat more, just not to eat more. Like it's so much deeper than that. Like, um, and that's, I suppose, what you learn through the recovery process. And I enjoyed listening to yourself and Holly's conversation. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I could relate to so much of it. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I suppose to me, yeah, full recovery is possible. I'd never doubted it. I suppose I could see it. I could feel it all around me. And I suppose I'm proof of it now that you can fully recover. And like, you don't, you're, you can move away from like not thinking about food in your body 24-7. And you, you just start to learn how to live life. Your life, I suppose, when you're in ED, you're restricting your food intake and you're restricting your life. Everything is getting smaller. That's what you want. But like when you start recovering, you just start to things get bigger you enjoy life like there's more going on than just the size of your bum and like I think as well not to dish it because it can be seen like oh it's just a vanity thing or just a young girl thing that's not the case like it's just I suppose that's what you're using as the behaviors that you're using is more like control for me I think it was more numbing I think like I don't think I understood or knew what any sort of emotion was only good or bad or happy or sad and like I used to pride myself on never getting upset or never crying. Like, I just thought I was so tough and nothing could get past me. Do you know that kind of way? And I was very focused on my career and getting things done and busy and creating this illusion of a kind of a, what I thought was a perfect life. Um, so, yeah, I think for me anyway, it was definitely a form of maybe kind of numbing um, and probably something to control too, I suppose, because if you don't know yourself and you're constantly comparing yourself to others, um, which I did, like I would have just followed other people's lives, like from people I know that I put on pedestals without ever question, like, OK, what does Aoife want? What do we want to do? Or even without taking into consideration my body. And I can remember my first, um, sorry, I'm probably jumping no, on No, no, you're brilliant, yeah. But I can remember my first session with um, one of the therapists uh, in the clinic uh, at Marino and she'd refer to it as like, this is going to be like a couple's counselling session with your body. And I was like, what the right, hell is interesting, she on yeah. about? <laughs> like, tell me about your relationship with your body. And I was like, what? Like, what kind of like nonsense is this? Like, it was just a language that was so unknown to me. Do you know that kind of way? It was just like my body, like we have a very destructive relationship, I suppose. But it just got me kind of curious, like what kind of relationship would I like to have with my body? And if I was free, what kind of a relationship could I have with my body, with food? And just kind of getting curious about those questions rather than getting so critical, I suppose. So like, just like that, that can be possible. And I remember like I used to look at people that would just have a bit of cake and maybe not finish it or feel like they didn't have to wolf everything down. And I was like amazed by these people that could just... Do that, whereas if I had anything in the house. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It would be instantly gone because it was either allowed or not allowed. So it would just be hoovered up and then it wouldn't, I wouldn't be allowed it again for months. So yeah, you can ju- you just learn balance and it's amazing how I still laugh at sometimes when like whatever could be in the cupboard stuff that I might like. It's just when you're allowing yourself to have it, it's just that pull is gone. I'm just like, I'll take it or leave it. It doesn't mm. consume my yeah, mind yeah, anymore. Yeah. And it um, is balance, isn't it? It's balance. Like you're learning how to live life, I suppose, in a balanced, constructive way. Like you kind of move from a master of self-destruction to a master of self-care, if you want to say. I know self-care is kind of thrown around a bit. No, I love like, it. I love it. So when you looked in the mirror back in the day versus when you look in the mirror at yourself now, like I'm, I'm guessing it was, it's like polar opposites. Is it? Polar opposites, yes. Um, but it, it's, it doesn't mean that... I'm going around either and I'm looking in the mirror going, geez, I'm absolutely fabulous. Like I don't, there's still hangups I have about my body. And I think when you're free, I suppose when I was going through the recovery journey, I thought- You're more accepting of it now, obviously. You're accepting and you can see behind it and it's not just, it doesn't consume you. It's just like, okay. You're more than just Yeah, like it's just, that's there, but like, look what my body does and it just wouldn't consume me. It's just, it's just what it is. Like there's so much more to me, you know, that kind of way. Isn't it weird though how, you know, say, and the classic is somebody goes through a breakup, particularly I'm, I'm speaking from <laughs> friends of mine, female friends of mine who've gone through breakups. And because, and I've, I've been that soldier myself, you're so upset that you either comfort eat or you can't eat. Mm. But perhaps say if you can't really eat and you drop weight, you're getting all these compliments. Mm. But you could be miserable yeah. and in such inner turmoil. Yeah. But physically, what people are seeing. Yeah is that you look well, but like, but you like might be the opposite loss. of that inside. Yeah. And weight loss is celebrated no matter what. People don't think of what might be going on behind that. It's just celebrated no matter what. And you can be so like, I've seen so many accounts and it's great to see more and more accounts of people who, and we have the likes of Ross Purcell, who's a fabulous advocate, I feel, for, you know, life after an eating distress and actually embracing living, which is what you're all about as well. And there are so many, which is brilliant. But that, you know, you can, there was one woman, and I can't remember her name, but she's a fabulous account on Instagram where she has photos of herself, she's slimmer. 
and like to the naked eye she might look really well because she's slim mm-hmm. but she basically says now in her larger body that she's far healthier physically yeah. healthier inside but not just that but healthier in her mind and yeah. in her heart about herself on every in every way versus that picture of herself that may have looked a certain way but it was the absolute opposite and that's an important point to make as well isn't it yeah what we see is not the full picture yeah it's not a reflection of our inner health yeah and i think that's the kind of parallel it's like weight equates to health in kind of society now which there's so much more like as you just said like your mental health your emotional health your life everything like it's it's so much more, I suppose. But when you're kind of going through it, that's all you can see. It's just yeah. weight is health. And it doesn't matter at what cost, like, I suppose. And I think that's what I'd love to get out of this, that if people are maybe listening, that they might see this in their sons or daughters or friends or family, or they might resonate with it themselves. And just to kind of reach out and seek support, because a lot that's a lot of the barriers can be even like, I'm not sick enough and like, I look fine. And But like, if something is consuming you and taking over the quality of your life, you deserve to seek help like and yeah. you can just live a lot a freer nicer life like and yeah and be nicer to be around probably as well definitely because you're not obsessed about it exactly and people feel that don't they yeah and uh, and I say that again as somebody who's gone through different diets and I know when I've been in the zone myself yeah. that I haven't really been that much crack to be around I mean I, I used to call it like a different phases when I would go through, I'd be doing the no crack diet because I'd be no crack to yeah. be around, <laughs> you know, because, you know, if you, carbs make you feel good and we need a balance in our lives and they, they're good for your mood and they're good for your emotional well-being as well. Mm. And if you're depriving your body of certain things, you're usually ratty, you're usually mm. in bad form. Yeah, you're not you're not much crack to be around. Yeah. So and it just comes back like your body knows what nutrients it needs. Like I yeah. always say. Your body is your best nutritionist. It knows what it wants. If you actually practice listening to it, you don't need a nutritionist. You don't need a plan. Your body is smart and it knows what it needs. You're born in tune with your body. You eat when you're hungry. You stop when you're full. And just along the way that that gets lost. So it's just retraining yourself again and just to tune into your body. Yes. And is that what you do now? Is it intuitive eating? Um, I only kind of found out what intuitive eating was, I'd say, this year. And I love following the girls, actually, Intuitive Eating Ireland. Um, I found them brilliant. Yeah. But in terms of what you've just described, that's what it is. It's, uh, yeah, it's tuning kind of, into your own body yeah. and just eating accordingly. Yeah, I think I had I didn't know that was the term yeah. and there's principles, <laughs> but I suppose through recovery, that's what I that's learned. That's what you were doing, yeah. But at the early days, I suppose it's important to know as well that you don't know how to eat intuitively when you have an eating disorder because you're so body Regimented. and mind disconnected. Like, yeah, okay. So it's to kind of, in, in the initial stages, if anyone's going through it, it would be important to get a blood test and eat mechanically every three hours to get your metabolism back and to get everything going in the body and get like, you mentioned BMI earlier, like your blood test is going to outline a whole lot more than a BMI, like, and get your hormones checked, especially for women, like your, yeah, your hormone levels, like, and you Holly mentioned last week about um her about period, her, her period stopping, stopping. Yeah. and like when I started going through the recovery process and went for the like through the clinic you go and get your bloods checked and the, you start off from there and like my estrogen was on the lower level it was like I'd never missed a period or anything like that but it was on the lower level and that was just good information for me like do you know I'd been on the pill probably geez I don't know how long could have been 15 years I'd say yeah, 10 yeah. years easily um so yeah it was just it's it's like and even now if I go to a GP and I'm not dishing GPs or anything but like you you do need to ask if you want to get your hormone level checked and it's kind of like why that's not standard but like it's just to, it's just yeah. to feel comfortable to ask for it because that can be there can be so much going on and that gives you a much 
better picture than what BMI is going to give you. So, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't just manifesting emotionally or mentally for you where you were obsessed and you didn't go a day without thinking, what am I going to eat or what am I going to do today exercise wise? So then it had the knock on effect in your friends and family. Uh, But then, of course, you were feeling it internally as well. While it may not have been obvious on the scales Mm. or on a a BMI, as you said, it was showcasing in bloods as well. Was that the wake up call for you? No, the bloods, I suppose, for me would have been when I started the recovery process. It was advised to get it. I think... I was just like, I can't deal with this constant in my head. And like, just like, I just feel like my baseline stress levels were so high. And then if anything happened, like, I don't know whether it was a breakup or like, I remember I'd moved to Dublin to start the, uh, my, I was going to say my new job, the job I'm in now, but it was new at the time. Mm. And I just found that transition very difficult. And even though I traveled and lived abroad and always lived in different places, it just, that move really kind of took its hold on me. And I, had started with my going out with the, my partner that I'm with now um, at the time and I'd moved from Mayo up to because I suppose my career was nothing got in the way of my career even though we had like a kind of an instant I suppose a bond I suppose early days but it was like didn't matter like I have to move to Dublin for this job like it's in yeah. it was nothing got in the way of my career like I used to like it's so warped I think now like I used to think like having kids or family like that was a weakness that gets in the way of your game plan like as in it's just so funny like okay, it's literally yeah. like I became I'm not gonna say a different person I just probably discovered who I really was without all the bullshit of the ED yeah, yeah. in between yeah but it's just how it it filters into every part of your life, your relationships. Like, And when you start the recovery process and when you're not thinking about food 24-7 and you're not ruminating all day long, you have so much more space. It's like, whoa, what will I do with my time? You have so much more options and choices. And whereas before you didn't, I didn't ever have a choice. I suppose I just thought this is what I have to do. Like I didn't even know the word choice. You sound like such, a, as in now versus the way you were then, it sounds like a really different person oh, because the second I met you uh, outside, I was met with instant warmth okay. from you and loveliness and yeah. a feeling of oh great because you instantly just exuded this warmth but you're describing a person that almost was quite detached or a bit cold yeah and it's funny because like my close network are still the same from back then and I always obviously did have some level of warmth because yeah. people don't really only my close network would realize how much I've changed I suppose right um but, but within yourself I suppose oh, maybe not with yeah. other people I'm getting the feeling that you were just, as you said, you know, that voice in your head oh, was so yeah. negative. Yeah, oh yeah. And so hard on you. Yeah. You were you were so tough on yourself. Yeah, hardship was a big thing. But then as well, I suppose, I was maybe trying to mask it so much that I nearly came off the other extreme that I was Miss Positive Polly. Because, but it, which it's just okay. it was such a stark contrast to what was going on internally to what I was, I suppose, portraying to the outside world. Uh-huh, um, right. And it's funny then going through recovery. I probably seem like a bit more of a mess now because... I actually feel my emotions and I express them and I could be a wreck someday. I could be really happy. Like I feel different. I feel vulnerable. I feel exposed. Whereas, oh, that's good. It's healthy. Exactly. But I didn't yeah. know any, what any of those things were in the past. It was just like, I don't know. Like I just thought you I was would shut off your emotions. Yeah, yeah. Like from going through the recovery, I suppose from going through restriction and all that kind of weight and all that kind of stuff. But then when I started recovering, I thought the free I was getting, geez, I'm just eating whatever like I still eat, I eat whatever I want but it was more it wasn't freedom it was more like the feck it button like going from being so strict to feck it I'll just have whatever I want whenever I want and 
that I suppose it, it's normal to go through that process that if you go from so restricting that your body, it's nearly like survival. It goes 360 the other way. And you, like for me anyway, and a lot of people I know, it would have been a lot of emotional overeating then as mm. I was going through the recovery process. Um, and I, there was a lot of shame for me with that as well. But I thought like, okay, this is better because I'm not, at least I'm not dieting or restricting or going back to my old ways. But it's kind of the same, or what's it, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose you get to that kind of sweet spot in the middle where you're not restricting, you're not eating all around you, you're just eating with your body. Um, but it is a process yeah. to get there. Like it, it, it doesn't happen overnight and it does involve work. But I always enjoyed the recovery process. I really fully immersed myself in it and I loved it. I loved getting to know myself because I suppose I was rejecting myself for so long. So it was so interesting. It was like just getting to know somebody and mm. just becoming yourself and like then it just infiltrates like that into every part of your life. My job got so much easier. My relationships improved. Like it's amazing how effective you and productive I became in my job because food wasn't dictating what I was doing 24 seven. And I didn't constantly doubt myself that I wasn't good enough or wasn't able to do it or comparing what the girl next door was doing that I just started to believe in myself. And like, it's amazing what you can get done when your mind isn't full of crap. Like, mm. um, You just said two words there that I think are really telling because we're talking about how different are you now or how have you changed or how you've become a, you know, a different version of yourself. But you said the words becoming myself. <laughs> so it's not about becoming a different person. No. Is it about just going back to the Aoife that was always there, but she got hijacked along the way? 100%, yeah. And I think like my definition of recovery is just discovering who you are. Yeah. And I think it was said to me the early days of recovery, you're not your thoughts, you're not your behaviours, what you do. You're separating Aoife from the ED. And that was so helpful, like, because my identity was so wrapped around it. My job, my career, everything was so wrapped up in the ED that... It was so helpful to park that and be like, OK, let's get to know Aoife. And like, I definitely found like for anyone that maybe is going through it, like journaling at the start was, and even now I'd still journal every day, but like just three things I used to kind of write every day. And it just helped shift my mindset and my attitude and everything. It was, what did I do well today? What did I learn? And what would I do differently? And those yeah. three things like they, like and it might just seem so simple and I remember at the start of recovery it's like why is it no one talking about the food and all the weird stuff we do around food why is this not like I've been so confused like I'm coming here for food but the food is kind of nearly just parked and it's like let's mm. just come away from that and let's look beneath the surface and then eventually the food behavior stuff they just melt away they're just not you don't really value them anymore because you start to like under like I used to hate the question like who are you or what would you like to be and what would you like to be in five years? Because I used to like nearly get a panic attack because I was so lost myself. I had no clue. Yeah, so okay. I hated those kind of questions or if I was on like team building exercises with work or anything like that because I was so... They made you feel anxious. Yeah, so lost like and yeah, yeah I, I hated it. But that's what I started to learn, I suppose, going through the recovery. Like, what do I enjoy doing? Who do I admire? Like, what traits do I admire? Like that kind of stuff. And just like getting getting to know myself, I suppose, and the relationship with myself and my body. Those top three questions that you mentioned there first. Yeah. Can you say them again? And I'll include them in the show notes as well. If somebody listening yeah. wants to maybe jot them down and if they haven't started journaling or if they do journal and they want to add it into the mix, yeah. that might help. What did I do well today? What did I learn today? And what would I do differently? Mm. And the lingo is massively important because before I would never see what I did well. It was just that one thing 
it mightn't be to do, it could be what I ate, what I didn't eat, it could be what I did or didn't do, nothing to do with food at all. But it would just be the negative thing that would stand out and I would ignore and filter out everything else that went well that day. So you're kind of shifting the focus, coming away from that real negative mindset and focusing on what you did well. And then I think the question, what would you do differently is very important instead of like, that was good or bad. It's like, okay, what would I maybe do differently? What did I learn from this? And it just really helps change your mindset, those kind of questions. For me, anyway, I found them brilliant. Yeah. So that's really, I suppose, practical advice for somebody who is listening and is, you know, connecting with you and feels that, OK, I, I possibly need to look at this and maybe mm-hmm. what I'm experiencing isn't good for me. And maybe I do need to actually delve into it. But if you're somebody listening who's concerned about a friend or a family member, what would you say is their best way of approaching it? Because sometimes it can be very difficult yeah. to approach the topic and knowing what to say. I mean, yeah. do you feel like is there is there an appropriate way of going about it? Or does I suppose it depends on the person, does it? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. And like the group sessions that I would have gone to, like there was um, they were ha- they would happen twice weekly. And on the second group, there'd be family members or carers that would come in. And I found that so amazing and inspiring to see people's parents or siblings or partners coming into the sessions and wanting to learn about recovery and wanting to learn how to help because it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you, whether you want to believe that or not. Like I would freak out if someone else cooked my meals or if someone surprised me with something like I would resent them, even though they were just doing something nice. So like, and like, yeah, you're not, as you said, you're not going to be much crack to be around. You're not going to be... Mm. When you're so consumed in yourself, it's like this negative narcissist, like you're just so self-consumed, I suppose, without even knowing it. And but yeah, so I think, first of all, it's maybe not to be afraid of it. If like you can identify with what I'm saying, it's not to have uh, not to be afraid of it, that like recovery is possible and that it's just information that what's going on, these behaviors it's just information flagging that there's something maybe not right beneath the surface, but it's recovery is very practical and simple. I, like I'm not taking away the ED is very complex and it's a really horrible disorder. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but the recovery can be very simplified. It's very practical. Mm. It's teaching you how to live your life, I suppose, um, in a constructive way. And the parents and families and like my own partner, if then he came to some of the group sessions, like, Brilliant. everything you do like I'm sure you can relate to a lot of the stuff I'm saying without mm. having an ED so a lot of the people that come in and learn about it they learn so much about themselves and that helps them they kind of go on a parallel journey of your own self-discovery even though you mightn't be suffering with ED yeah but everything that that's why it's so important that the recovery treatment is not just about the food and the weight that it's what's beneath the surface and that people that are supporting you they can learn they can go on the same journey with you um and it's not to be afraid of it because It can be like, I wouldn't change anything because from having ED, I've learned so much about myself. Like I wouldn't be who I am now if I didn't go through that. Yes. So, and like, yeah, people that are going through, they can be very determined and very creative, but it just, you said hijacked earlier, it just gets hijacked by the ED, but like you can find that person again. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, not to be afraid of it. That's a really important message. And maybe if you wanted to broach it, like, oh, I listened to this podcast, just even this Sheila's podcast is... Did anything kind of resonate with you and not expect answers either? Just let them digest, give it to them. And there might be a lot of resistance. There will be a lot of resistance, but to expect that as well, it's not going to go rosy, I suppose. Yeah. None of us are perfect. None of us are flawless. Every single one of us has Mm -hmm. some form of a problem or something in our lives Mm -hmm. 
uh, that is causing us struggle or pain or discomfort. And there's nothing wrong with us. Mm -hmm. It's normal part of living. Yeah. But it does require examination. And sometimes that examination is hard, but it's important to. If you can, and if you're in a place to do it, to do that as well. And if you're not able to do it on your own, and if listening to a conversation like this is too difficult, then reach out. There are places available like the the Marino Centre mm-hmm. and plenty of other, I, I would imagine, great counsellors, great therapists in yeah. this field that are there and they're willing to help. Yeah. Um, yes, of course, it costs money, mm-hmm. which is which is an issue. And the whole area of of eating distress and the and the facilities and, and availability of help in this country is 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 a difficult topic. And it is quite controversial. As you said, you have to be in a very particular I suppose, level of 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 underweight to qualify, Mm. which is warped in itself. But we do spend money nonetheless on things that maybe we think matter and don't like, say, if somebody is listening to this now and is spending lots of money on diet pills or whatever it is. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Put that money into into sitting down with somebody and talking about it. That'll be time far better spent than, you know, you're spending money on, on mad diets that cost yeah. that cost a lot. A hundred percent. Like my recovery investment time and money, like it's the best investment I've ever made. And it's had such a knock on effect yeah. on everyone around me. And like, I think it's information in yourself. If like, it can be an, a very uncomfortable topic to bring up with your child or your partner or your loved one or whoever it is. But I suppose it's an opportunity, like if you want to support them as well, like to get you learn information about yourself as well and you can go through it together. And it's yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. Like I'm not saying recovery is all rosy. There are definitely challenges. It's not linear. It's up and down. It's all over the place. Sometimes you think you're taking loads of steps back, but you're actually going forward. But it doesn't mean I don't go through challenging times because you're free from it. Like I found becoming a mother very challenging. Like my little boy is nearly two now and I found first six months so 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 challenging like I wasn't sleeping I think it was just those kind of perfectionist traits kind of a lot of pressure they were kind of coming in on me a little bit and I suppose I was vulnerable and hormonal and sleep deprived and but like I would never have called that a relapse it was just a challenging time in my life but I had my toolbox of recovery tools to get through it yeah and like I think that's the thing like just because you've recovered from something. It doesn't mean you're not going, I thought like life was going to be all beautiful and like unicorns and life is great, but like everyone still has to deal with ups and downs and challenges and shit in life. And that's a given. So it's not to think that everything will be perfect when you recover either. Perfection like doesn't exist, but it's just, you're just living, I suppose. And when you mentioned there about, you know, when you were going through treatment and when, you know, family members or partners or friends were involved in the process, that sounds vital and so healthy, but there'll also be people whose, uh, you know, I suppose negative relationship with food may have started in the home, yeah. may have been a parent. Yeah. And that can also be a very difficult thing unless the parent is willing to look at their behaviors, mm. which if they're not, then you have to make a decision where do I yeah. just step away yeah. and I've to met, protect myself? Yeah. 100% like it's creating those boundaries and I suppose for me, like my family, I suppose I was a grown adult, like I was 26 or seven living in Dublin away from home for years. My family, like I had told my mother what I was going through and kind of bit, but like she wouldn't have been coming to sessions and stuff. She was living in Clare, like it just, yeah, yeah. that wasn't what happened. But like my partner came along to a few of them, but I very much kind of went at it on my own path, I suppose. And 
you do mm. sometimes have to create those boundaries. And I remember saying to people close to me, like my sister, my best friend and my mother, because we would have all talked about diets and I would have been the ringleader, I suppose. But I had to say, OK, like I'm going through this now. I'd appreciate if you just didn't bring this up around me. We don't have those conversations. Very good. And that boundary has kind of it has stayed, I suppose. Um, and boundaries are so important. Yeah. And it's not that I suppose my boundaries are kind of my boundary was very strict. And I was like, everyone that talks about diets and wants to lose weight is bad. That's what I kind of thought. OK, but it's not. It's like you can get that compassion now that like just because you're experiencing discomfort in your body or you might want change, that's okay, you know? And it took me a long time to accept that, that, like, we all have kind of different kind of issues with our bodies and stuff like that, and and that's okay. You're just human. That's a human experience, I suppose. Um, But it, it can become a lot easier. So, yeah, but I have met people from the clinic and stuff that did have to put those boundaries with their family. The families weren't willing to engage and there was issues there and maybe very I don't know strict upbringing and things like that and going at it alone and I've seen people recover in that sense as well with families without families going at it on their own like obviously it's a nicer time for the person if the people around them are kind of on board yeah on board yeah yeah, it's, yeah. but there is a, a wider societal pressure as exactly, well yeah that we've been bombarded with from an early age yeah that you know looking a certain way means that you're worth increases that's why I speak about self-worth a lot I'm very passionate about the topic Mm. because I think we have a warped sense of what worth actually is and that it's not based on how we look but unfortunately in society there are comments that are made on how we look all the time Mm. so where would you stand on that what have you learned through the the recovery process because often we compliment people Mm. on how they look or if they've dropped a few pounds I've done it myself yeah oh so have I and like some people listening to this might be like what the hell is Yvonne about she was the ringleader of everything the opposite of what I promote now and I was and like I'm removing that shame I suppose I didn't know any different and a lot of people might be in the same boat so just Try not to have any judgment or shame there if that is the case. But yeah, I would be. And we can always change. Exactly. Every day is an opportunity yeah, to start again. And to learn, yeah. yeah. And like, I think like I'd be a big believer, like I'd never comment on anyone's weight. I might say you look well, you look great, but it wouldn't be you look, have you lost weight if you gained yeah. And I find that really, um, I just find it a really awkward conversation now, even though, as I said, I was the ringleader of it before. But I'm just like, it's so unnecessary when I hear it now. And like, it's not that I'm immune to everyone around me doesn't talk about that. I still hear it, but I can just redirect the conversation and like, just don't comment on people's size. Don't comment on people's body. Don't comment on what they're eating. Yeah. And like, as well, I suppose we mentioned like parents and families earlier, I suppose it's it's not to create blame either. And if your son or daughter is experiencing it, like, because I know my mom was like, how didn't I know that was going on? And she felt so guilty, do you know what I mean? But, like, none of us are muted. Like, we are all growing up with that kind of culture of diet culture and, like, your worth is based on your appearance and your size. So, like, I think it's very much, yeah, it's just to kind of be willing to open up and learn a kind of different way, I suppose. And yeah relearn I suppose get rid of old beliefs and bring in the new beliefs but yeah I would be and even I find it funny since I've became a mother I probably got a bit more kind of passionate about it because I Mm. find like 
people just would comment on my child size. I'm like, he's not even two. And like, it's not in a, in a, no one's doing it in a malicious way, but it's just so funny from a baby. Jeez, he's a fine big baby. And like, you know, a few families be like, oh, little fatty. And like, I'm probably a bit sensitive to it as well after what I've been through. But I'm like, just, just don't comment on yeah. kids, families. Like, and I know my little boy is very sensitive, like nothing to do with food or anything, but I can see he's a really sensitive little boy. So I'm kind of mindful of those things. I like just... And I'm so glad that I've recovered because there will never be a thing like there's good or bad food in my house. Yeah, or like... and you know what? That's why isn't it great that you did this work before yeah. you became a mother? And it's just yeah. the way it happened, I suppose. Yeah. But you're now in a brilliant position where yeah. you have learned so much and you've seen the pitfalls. You'll be far more highly attuned yeah. to it yeah. of what not to do. Yeah. Um, because I think there is a lot of that, even from an early age. It may seem innocent, mm. but kids and are compared to each other, siblings yeah, compared to each yeah. other, cousins. You can take that on on a deeper level. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I grew up with it myself. Yeah. Where yeah. there was commentary. It was innocent. And it was done yeah, in a playful yeah. way. Yeah. But then underneath it... Yeah. Yeah. Was it so innocent? If yeah. it's, It depends on the child yeah. and how sensitive they are to yeah. it and whether they yeah. take it in. Yeah. Um, comments on whether you are, you've a bit of weight on or you're too yeah. skinny or you're yeah. too this. Yeah. Or you're, you're, we're not too anything. We are what we are. Yeah. Yeah. And God, it's, it's huge. We need to normalise the conversation and have a far healthier conversation around it in every way. I and mean, you have done a real service here today. But travelling from Mayo to sit down and have this conversation <laughs> is a very selfless thing to do. And I am certainly learning from you and you've you've allowed me to really delve into my own upbringing and my own relationship with food. And luckily, I think I'm in a pretty good place now, but it's because I did work on myself in all of yeah. other areas. Yeah. And certainly I can resonate with a lot of what you said. Yeah. Um, so thank you. So look, for anyone listening. Yeah. If you're concerned about it, um. Just open your heart, I suppose, and realize that, you know, people are suffering in different ways. And I think we've mentioned it before in this podcast, but particularly in this year of isolation, mm -hmm. there's probably a lot more disorder thinking around food mm -hmm. and the way we look and even getting back into normal life now. And there's a lot of there's, people have a lot of issues and a lot mm -hmm. of stresses around it. So um, it's, it's a topical conversation to have. And so, I think as well, we could talk all day about the issues in society, but like we're learning, we can pass this message on to other people. And like, I love the quote, even just to finish, like be the change you want to see. Because yeah. I can get so frustrated about the diet accounts and the diet industry. But like by me being free and passing it on to my son, that's another free person. You're learning, your kids will learn. So I think it's just, we could rant all day about the services and the way things are. But like the more people that open up to this conversation are willing to learn, it's going to have an impact like. Yes. So Aoife, thank you so much. Um, any last words? No, I think just to finish with that, be the change you want to see and that recovery is possible, I suppose, and definitely worth it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've absolutely loved this. Thank you. Please check the show notes for any more info that might be helpful to you. And if you like this podcast, why don't you show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple or by clicking follow on Spotify. I'd be so grateful. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.